This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Housing in Native America has been in short supply for years. When it comes to tribal housing, families can wait years for a home to become available. One solution some prospective homeowners are turning to is sweat equity. They build their own homes from the ground up. From navigating trust land and land ownership issues to applying for loans for materials, building a house is not a simple process. But it does come with cost savings and a sense of accomplishment. We'll hear from Native folks who've built their own homes coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The intense manhunt for the prime suspect in a mass stabbing over the weekend in Saskatchewan is over. Miles Sanderson has died. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, he was facing murder charges linked to the stabbing deaths of 10 people and the wounding of at least 18 others. Most of the victims were from the James Smith Cree Nation, about 120 miles northeast of Saskatoon. The community has been on edge and grieving since the stabbings took place early Sunday morning. One of the suspects, Damien Sanderson, was found dead on the reserve the following day. The other suspect, Miles Sanderson, his brother, became the target of a four-day manhunt across the province. That ended Wednesday afternoon on a highway about 40 miles northeast of Saskatoon, near the town of Rostern. Here's RCMP Assistant Commissioner Rhonda Blackmore. Our province is breathing a collective sigh of relief as Miles Sanderson is no longer at large. I can confirm that he is no longer a threat and there is no risk to the public related to this investigation. After multiple tips from the public, officers stopped a stolen pickup truck and arrested Sanderson. Video shared from the scene showed the truck in a ditch surrounded by police cruisers with a police helicopter flying overhead. Blackmore says it was confirmed that the driver of the truck was Miles Sanderson. He was arrested by police and taken into custody. Shortly after his arrest, he went into medical distress. Nearby, EMS were called by police to attend the scene, and he was transported to a hospital in Saskatoon. He was pronounced deceased at the hospital. On Wednesday evening, members of the James Smith Cree Nation gathered for the first wake since the attacks. There will be more in coming days. As for the motive for the attacks, police say there may never be an answer. The RCMP has asked the Saskatoon Police Force and the province's serious incident response team to conduct an independent investigation into Sanderson's death. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Ocheti Shakoin Community Academy, or OSCA, has officially opened its doors in Rapid City. The move comes just weeks after the public school district's Lakota Immersion Program shut down. South Dakota Public Broadcasting C.J. Keene has more. The first class of academy kindergartners was introduced to teachers on Tuesday at the city's first Indigenous-led and designed school. Indian Collective, a Rapid City-based Indigenous advocacy organization, founded the academy. Indian Collective President Nick Tilson addressed the students. To the little ones, you might think of, why are all these people here? Why did the drum come? Why did the elected leaders come? Why did all the grandparents come? They came here for one reason, and that's for you. The curriculum includes daily lessons in the Lakota language and reflects subjects including environment, identity, culture, sovereignty, and treaties, along with general academic subjects. 
Mary Bowman works with the Indian Collective Education Equity Team. She has 15 years of education experience in the Rapid City area, and she compared the Academy's vision with her own educational background. We learned in a very nurturing environment, and I don't feel like it's been that way for a long time. That wasn't my experience in education. I graduated from the Rapid City Area Schools. And I think just the opportunity to see themselves and what they're learning, that's a big thing. They're going to be motivated and engaged. Bowman questioned the school district's efforts to sustain the Rapid City Lakota Immersion Program. We want to see our Indigenous students do well, and we're not waiting for, you know, somebody to do something. We're getting out there and we're doing it. I think that effort was, uh, it was a half-hearted effort, and I think that's part, part of the problem. For National Native News in Rapid City, I'm C.J. Keen. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There's no reason to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. That's why AARP created state-specific comprehensive election guides. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Native Americans endure household overcrowding more than all other populations. We're also more likely to live in substandard homes. That's the finding in a years-long study by HUD released in 2017. The COVID-19 pandemic also exposed the public health risks of limited housing for Native families. One way that some homeowners are addressing these challenges is building their own homes from the ground up. It's a lot of hard work, but there are benefits. With the right planning and permissions, the process from breaking ground to moving in can be done in a matter of months. That's factoring in some inevitable hiccups and setbacks. In this hour, we'll talk with homeowners about what it takes to build a house and what those inevitable hiccups and hurdles to look out for are. You can join us as you build your home. Have you ever thought about what it would take to build a house? Or tell us if you think it's an option more Native people should consider, or does it require expertise better left to professional home builders? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Please give us a call, share your thoughts. Our producers are standing by. Our lines are open now. Our first guest is on the line in Denahotso, Arizona. Carmi Ray Olguin is the co-founder and executive director of the Nazi Lid Initiative. She's Dene. Carmi Ray, welcome to the show. Good morning, Bruce. Absolutely, Carmi Ray. And you know what? My first thought is that building a home seems like such a huge undertaking. Is it something you recommend for every Native family? Yes, I believe every Native family should build a home together. And the process of building a home is also a healing process to where families learn to communicate, learn teamwork, and learn 
a lot of different skills and valuable lessons. And not only through building a home, you know, you're building another family member and that family member is going to take care of you for generations. And I really definitely believe families should definitely take that step in building a home together. That's a really powerful perspective to share about a home as being another family member like that, a living part of a Native household. And, well, tell us more about the Nazi LID initiative and, and some of these other innovative um, home building programs that you folks are, are spearheading. Yeah, so Nazi LID initiative is a Indigenous-led, coalition-driven um, nonprofit organization based here in Danahozo, um, Arizona, on the Navajo Nation. And I am the co-founder and executive director of the organization. And our the mission is to build sweat equity homes through the process of um, reserving um, traditional um, building practices, um, preserving our language and our culture. And that all begins with the Navajo Hogan, the female Hogan or the Hoan. And through this Hoan, there's a lot of teachings that happen. Um, I grew up traditional um, as the Ne, and when I was taught I, I've always been taught that the Hogan is represents the female, and here in Dinesh, we the female or the matrid, she has the like the strongest ability of everyone in the family, and so does the female Hogan. So there's a set, there's an eight life cycle that happens inside the female Hogan. There's the infant, toddler, child, youth, young adult, parent, and um, grandparent, elderly. So when we're building our homes. We want to compare the life cycle of a Hogan, and that also comes from our deity as changing women. So when we're building our Hogan, we want to compare it to a conventional home building process as well. And this is where the families learn to collaborate, work together, and they also collaborate with architects and builders and other designers and people that are part of the building process of their home. So as an infant, when you're planning and designing your home, you see your home um, like being designed on a computer or graphic designing part of it, and you start to develop your process of um, like infrastructure and getting um, all your permits and everything put together. Then there's a toddler phase as where you're pouring your foundation, getting ready to um, build your home. You start collaborating, you start working with different contractors and um, composing your home together. And then there's a child phase the child phase is where you learn to work with your contractors and communicating and actually doing the work. And when the work is being processed after you've poured your foundation, then you have your um, youth where you're turning into a young woman. As For us as the net people, we have like our kinasa phase where the young, the young girl turns into a young woman. And this would be considered something uh, similar to um, where the female body is starting to um, change and has physical futures. And when you're building your house, you, you start to see the, or the framing go up and you start to imagine what your home is going to look like. So this is like the middle part of the home building process is where it changes into what it's going to be. And then from there, it becomes apparent. After you're done building your home, your home becomes apparent. You start to think about, you know, your career, your education, or if you're going to move your family in, how how you're going to decorate your home. So that's like with the parent phase. And then it becomes a grandparent or an elderly. When After you've moved into your home, you take care of your home. Your home teaches you how to become a respectable person. 
how well you take care of your home. Like if there's a light bulb that needs to be replaced, you replace it. If there's tiles or anything like that that needs to be replaced, that's where your home becomes an elder. And that's the same process of what we want to teach our participants in our sweat equity housing program is to think of it as another person. You're building a person that's going to be with you forever and that's going to take care of your family for generations, depending on how well you um, care for it. Carmen Ray, this is just fascinating. And um, I think I'm in that parent phase that you described because um, the decorating part, that's <laughs> that's probably about the limit of my of my home building expertise, uh, home ownership expertise. But so, just, wow, this is all really, really inspiring to hear. And now I understand you've already built one home. Have you incorporated all of these philosophies and all of these teachings you just described in that house that you folks have built? Um, in 2017, we built Project Lone Tree. It was a collaboration between Denahotso Chapter, so Equity, and University of Utah's Design Build Bluff Program. It's architectural and design um, housing program that they have their students going through. And when we were building this home, we learned um, it gave us the opportunity to design a home that was more uh, accessible in cultural appropriation for our home than we would get like through um, Navajo Housing Authority or other um, government assistant homes. So when working with the students of University of um, Utah's Design Build Bluff program, they were able to designed the home to where the home was an offset and half of the home, or it's a conventional home build, but half of it's an offset. And one side of the offset is a foundation built, a regular foundation with um, infrastructure plumbing, and it has two bedrooms, a kitchen and a bathroom. And then the other half of the home is um, contemporary design. A part of the contemporary design, it has an earthen floor and the plastering, the wall plastering or earth plastering. So those materials on the earth inside of it are materials directly from the home site. So we didn't have to travel like long distance to get like certain type of material or get um, additional sand. Those were all materials that were from the home site. So when we built this home, we um, when we had our workshop for the earth and floor, one of our the comments that we received is we used to build like this and we don't do it no more. And this is one of from our respected elders from our community. And for myself, um, starting Nancy Lid Initiative is like, I don't want to be that person that says, I used to do this or we did that once. I want to be the person that says, I help preserve it and I help reiterate the traditional building practice. So when we decide to, when I and my colleagues decide to move forward with um, developing Nancy Lid Initiative as a nonprofit organization, that has been the main um, center point is preserving and reviving our traditional building practices, our culture, and our language as the mm -hmm. people. Well, Carmen Ray, this is, uh, again, just, just really, really interesting what you folks are doing out there in Denahotso. And you mentioned sweat equity earlier. What exactly is the sweat equity component of these projects? So the sweat equity part of our project is we identify a recipient for our housing project, and the recipient has to um, participate in this set of 400 sweat equity hours. There's two sets. So the first set is they have to do 400 sweat equity hours in a period of four months. So it's like 25 hours a week for four months. And they design, they build, 
and they um, they build their home in the first set. And then the second set is they help the homeowner with designing and building their home. Uh, so they would actually be like hands-on of building their home and being a part of like, you know, the learning process. And this would be for like family members over the age of 18 or 16 and older. They would um, be the um, primary builders. And we would have a construction site supervisor and two laborers to assist a family with the building process. So are, are all family members over the age of 18 then expected to contribute to building the house? Yes, they would be contributors. Um, they would be contributors to the building process just before liability issues and just for the safety of other family members. But the children, they would also have a major part as well of being a part of the um, sweat equity hours. We would actually have like small building projects like building birdhouses, like flower um flower pots and stuff like to decorate the outside of the house that we could do. And then the other part is we have family time as well. And family time is just reflecting the building process. The family would um, reflect the building process and they would also write what their thoughts and what their, um, what their thoughts and what they've experienced all in Navajo, like in a daily journal. And that would also be considered towards the preserving the language part of our program. And towards the end, we would um, collect all of their stories and all of their um, um, comments and everything like that. And then we would um, turn that into a book for the family to keep. We're speaking with Carmi Ray Olgin. She's with the Nazi Lit Initiative in Denahotsa, Arizona. And she's explaining this uh, really visionary home building program that's available there to Navajo tribal citizens. Folks, give us a call 1 800 996 2848. We'll be right back. Stan Jotty, Pookie G, Melody MacArthur, Miss Shells. These are some of the winners at this year's Indigenous Hip Hop Awards, a fairly new award show in its second year. We'll get familiar with some of the award-winning music and talk with award winners on the next Native America Calling. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strongheart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Strongheart's Native Helpline. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Building your own home. Some might see it as a daunting task. Others might see it as an empowering opportunity. Let's get some calls going. I want to hear from someone who built their own home or learn about any sweat equity home building programs in Native communities. Join the conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're chatting with Carmi Ray Olguin. She's in Denahotso, Arizona. And Carmi Ray, you, you gave us an overview of, of this program that you folks have developed to assist uh, Navajo families with building their own homes. And another aspect to, to building a home, especially on, on tribal lands, are, are the various approvals 
and other permissions that are needed to build. Can you walk us through that process and how you folks assist your, your home builders with that as well? Yeah, so when we go through our application process or our applicants go through our application process, we identify participants that do have an existing home site lease. And a home site lease here on the Navajo Nation is like a one square acre that is approved from the Navajo Nation Land Department and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. They have like a, a lease agreement. So when we have applicants that do have this um, lease agreement, we go to their home site and we investigate their home site. Um, we make sure that it's within applicable um, setting of um, delivering materials, infrastructure is nearby and there's an accessible road because we have so many home site leases here on the Navajo Nation that people want to build their homes like in certain plots or certain areas. And many, most of the time, they're not uh, feasible because of the roads or the location or they're like many miles from infrastructure. So those are some of the things that we're cautious about. And then the other part is that we have to verify that they are existing home site leases and that they're, um, that they do belong to the applicant or that's going to be our potential um, future homeowner. So we, and then we also provide assistance in helping families that are um, trying to obtain their home site lease. We help them with um, locating um, contractors for land surveys and certain um, land requirements or um, architect architectural, in like architectural programs, um, um, water floodplains and different uh, resources that we can, we have a resource listing that we also help them um, learn about and that we walk them through the application process. It's a small task, but it's also like a really huge um, process that we have to go through to help our homeowners understand the home site lease process here on the Navajo Nation. Carmi Ray, what about uh, all the costs of, of building a home, all those materials, tools, equipment? Uh, do you offer financing assistance as well? Uh, we are in the process of working with um, USDA Home um, 502 programs um, here in the um, state of Arizona. There's not one that's very familiar with working with the Navajo Nation. So we're working with the USDA office, and we're also working with other um, other grants and other um, loan offices that are willing to work with the Navajo Nation. And what we're coming across is we're that a lot of these organizations are kind of hesitant to work with the Navajo Nation just because of how large um, the reservation is, and that there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of uh, resources that are available to us and we're trying to stay away from HUD on like other government agencies because we want to stay as independent and grassroots as much as we can. So we're trying to work with these other loan opportunities to help buy material for the homeowner. So the only thing that the homeowner would buy is just their building materials. The tools, um, the cost of our electric or I'm sorry, our architectural and engineering program and the construction site supervisor and the laborers, those are all funded through Nazi-led initiative. And just in the process right now, we're just trying to look for more money for funding, uh, funding the materials. And as a nonprofit organization, when we try to apply for um, material grants for materials and stuff like that, they're not like for um, private owned residents. And that's what 
our organization or building a home for one um, family member is considered a private own. So we're trying to, we're in the process of fundraising and looking for resources for uh, materials right now. You're talking about that, the home being privately owned and um, and that's important for, for some of these lending uh, underwriting decisions. So um, once the house is built, uh, there's a home site lease. Now, do these people, do they own this home free and away or... Um, do they still have to answer to to the tribe and, and, and trust land issues as well? How does that work? So w- once they have this home site lease agreement, they own the home. So there's no additional um, like mortgages or like anything that they would pay off. Unless it's like a 502 loan with the USDA, then that's the only people that they would pay towards. But like owning the land and everything like that, there's no mortgage, there's no additional cost. So the homeowner would actually own the home and the land that they live on. Now, what's the housing situation like uh, across uh, the Navajo Nation? Um, are, is, do you see a huge need for, for scaling your program up and, and serving other communities beyond Denhotso? Yes. Um, so when we started our organization and we started talking about our Swag Equity Housing Program, we received like a large number of requests for our home program in different chapters of the Navajo Nation or communities. And we've had like, and then we've also had other um, reservations, other um, nations reach out to our organization and they wanted to know how we're working our Swag Equity Housing Program, how we're able to apply for different um, grants and how we're able to become um, this grassroots organization here on the Navajo Nation independent from the tribe. And a lot of people want a home. They want to build their own home process. Like, I have my own materials. Like, how can I just build my house? Can I just work with you guys? And so we're right now we're just focused on the communities of Denahoto, Chilchimbito, and Kianza chapter. And we're um, in the process of still developing our organization. And once we're comfortable with our um, development, then we want to expand to the wider nation. And then we also want to help other organizations on different nations as well with our um, home program. Let's go to the phones. We have Margie listening in Taos, New Mexico on KUNM. Hello, Margie, you're on the air. Hi. My husband and I withheld build our own house, but it took us quite a long time. I'd say about a year. And um, but he used to say every person who finished high school should uh, be able to build their own home. Um, it was quite stressful. Uh, there were two sayings people would say: uh, "Person who finished home die," <laughs> because it never seems to be finished, and um, and the divorce rate is really high among couples who do it by themselves. But um, it's been really helpful for us because um, we don't have a mortgage payment. Ah, yeah, for sure. No mortgage payment. Well, Margie, stay in the line a minute because you, you mentioned the divorce rate being really high. And I, I have a good friend that, that built a home a few years ago, and he pretty much devoted like two years of his life, and he'd just gotten married. And sadly, within about a year after they built that house, he and his wife got a divorce. So, but um, but you recommend everybody should build one, even though um, there are, you know, it seems like just like, again, such a, a daunting challenge and, and so much is required. And 
Um, what's the best way to, to, to learn some of this, this information and get some of these skills if you don't have a construction background and you've never done something like as, as huge as building a house before, Margie? He had a lot of experience. He was very interested in it. You have to have the interest and you have to have the talent. They're two different things. And um, he was very talented at it. So he, I say he was a foreman. I was a, I was a worker. Um, but he really directed it. You have to have some talent, and you don't know that until you start building. But you can work under somebody who does have you have to have the visual you have to ha be able to see it constructed put things together kind of like an inventor so you have to have a certain skill set to be really good at it but i was a helper and i could help even though i wasn't the lead person so um yeah, it's something that you do have to develop, and he developed it from when he was a child, and he built a, um, a treehouse. Started with a treehouse, and then <laughs> and graduated all the way up to a, to a full home. And well, Margie, if you had it all to do over again, would you would you still build your own house? I think so. Yes, yes. I think that um, some people are called to do it. Um, you know, there there seems to be a certain mature person that really um, is called to do it, you know. It seems that way it to me. It seems like you, work. yeah, a lot of work and a lot of maturity and, and a lot of skills. And, um, yeah, so so you mentioned having somebody there that, that has that experience that can kind of guide the process. That seems like it's, it's a really, really important um point to make that there does need to be that certain baseline level of knowledge. Margie, thanks for calling in today. And let's go ahead and move on to our next guest who is also coincidentally joining us from Taos, New Mexico, Bettina Sandoval. She is a Taos Pueblo community member. She is the Taos Pueblo Education Department Director. And guess what, folks? She's in the middle of building her own home. Bettina, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Bettina. It's great to have you. So tell us, when did you start building your house? Um, I started pretty late in 2018 to just kind of start mapping it out. Um, and we got the foundation in um, November 2018. And then um, the walls started going up in 2019. So. And where are you at now with the construction process? Um, so right now... I have pretty much everything ready. All the outside is plastered. Uh, windows and everything are in. I have electricity and water and sewer hooked up. Um, I just haven't been able to find anyone to do the in plastering. Um, that's what's holding up getting the floors done and putting all the counters in and things like that. So you're, I mean, you're almost ready to move in, it sounds like, once you get that plastering squared away. When do you hope to be able to move in? Um, I'm really hoping I can find somebody to get started soon and maybe get it done before this winter. Um, and if I can do that, then, you know, over the winter time, I can work on the flooring or, you know, different things. So, I mean, ideally, I'm hoping by the new year, you know, sometime this spring, maybe, 
Um, so yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'll bet. And so far, what has been the most challenging part, Bettina? Um, well, you know, just like you were talking about earlier, having someone who can be there and guide you. Um, that person has been my dad. Um, he built the home that I grew up in and he built the Tiwa Kitchen restaurant on Taos Pueblo. Um, and so he had a lot of experience, but you know, he's not like a licensed contractor or anything. So, um, unfortunately if, if you don't have a contractor, you can't get any loans or, you know, home building loans and stuff like that. Um, so really it's been balancing the finances and, you know, to pay for everything and also just finding contractors who can do the specific work. Um, but also balancing my major responsibility of, you know, being the education director. I've um, really been trying to balance all of that out and get everything done. But um, just thankful for my dad. He, he pushes me a lot and <laughs> we, you know, go back and forth a lot, but um, he's really been the one pushing me to get it done. So I guess it's, it's mainly that. And then of course the increased um, costs uh, due to the pandemic and everything. Um, it's really made things a lot harder. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I, I read about these soaring costs of building materials during during the pandemic because of the shortage and now the inflation. So um, how are you able to to get funding to build your home? Because like you said, you don't qualify for some of these traditional um, home building loans. Well, I mean, in the beginning, I had, I had been saving up money. I was still living in Albuquerque. Um, and I was just saving up as much as I could during that time. And that's what I used to start the process. And then I did have to get some personal loans. Um, I did have to use my credit card. Um, and then when I got my new job, um, I'm really thankful for that position. I've been in the position for four years now. So it's really helped me to save money and to put it towards my house. Um, but again, it's just balancing everything out and figuring out, you know, what I can save on and, and how I can, you know, get things paid for. But, um, yeah, I mean, the increased costs, like, I'm really glad that I was able to put my, the roof on in the beginning of 2020, because, um, once that, the lumber prices went up, I, I mean, I don't even know how I would have paid for it. <laughs> mm, wow. Well, we heard Carmi Ray talk about the home site leases that uh, the folks out there in Denahutso use to, to build their homes on land. And uh, how did you obtain the land that your house sits on? Um, so my house is across the field from my parents' house, and it's actually my dad's land that he gave to me. So in the beginning, um, that was the process we did was to transfer the land over to my name. And I have the, a little rectangle up in the corner of his property. Now, there at Taos Pueblo, do they have strict building codes that you have to follow? No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> it's been good for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, to be able to move forward and not to have to go through so many, you know, hoops or red tape. But um, it, it's, you know, we have to 
we have to try to follow as much as we can the standard, you know, codes. And I definitely like the electrician and the plumbers, you know, make sure that they are following all the normal codes, even though they don't have to. Um, so it, it's really up to the person to make sure that they, whoever they're contracting with, are still following the right, you know, codes and everything. We're speaking with Bettina Sandoval, and she's up at Taos Pueblo in New Mexico, and she's uh, building her own home. In fact, she's moving along pretty well, and hopefully she'll be able to move in by the end of the year, maybe celebrate the holidays in that new house there at Taos Pueblo. And she's explaining some of the challenges and some of the rewards uh, of working with her father there and, and building this new home there in the Pueblo. And um, our other guest on the show today, Camry Holgin, and she's talking about the program that they have there in Arizona, uh, a really innovative program that's designed to foster home ownership there in the Navajo Nation using uh, natural, locally sourced building materials, as well as a cultural approach to the whole process of building a home. And we'd really like to hear from our listeners today, get some input, get some more insights from you folks and what you think about being a homeowner or building a home. And um, I actually have a little quote that uh, hangs in one of our cupboard doors in my house. To be happy at home. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one-of-a-kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes, healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. This is Native America Calling. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Spruce. Folks, I'm sorry that last break there came up on me pretty quickly. I got cut off. I apologize. But the quote I was sharing, to be happy at home is the ultimate result of all ambition. And I think that's appropriate considering today we're talking about what it takes to build your own house. If you built a home, what was the hardest part? Pouring the foundation, the framing, or maybe installing kitchen cabinets and hanging doors that swung nice and level. Still time to get in our conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. Let's go back to Bettina Sandoval. She's in Taos Pueblo. She is building her own home. And Bettina, I also wanted to ask you, did you hire an architect to design your home? How did that process unfold? Um, no, I didn't. I really just worked with my dad to come up with a design that would be you know, doable for us. Um, of course, in beginning this process, I had all these crazy ideas <laughs> of things that I wanted to do and um, different styles or like putting stuff, you know, in different areas. But um, at the end of the day, you really have to think about, you know, how practical it is and um, if we're going to be able to actually do it, you know. Um, so <clears throat> I, I worked with him to do the design and he, you know, we talked about all the logistics of it, put, you know, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. he's really the one that helped me with that. Bettina, have there been any moments when you just stopped everything you were doing and thought to yourself, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> many, many times. <laughs> oh, no. so, so how do you get through those tough times? Um, well, I mean, I'm like, I'm very, 
you know, I have really high high standards for myself, and I'm like, I started a project and I have to finish it, you know. I mean, it's never really been a a real thought that I wanted to stop, Um, but I've definitely wanted to, like, take a break (laughs) and not have to, you know, coordinate so much and do so much, but... um, I mean, thankfully, over the winter time, there's not much you can do. Um, so that has really been uh, helpful. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's definitely been really frustrating. It's been really stressful um, trying to navigate all of this, you know, by myself pretty much. Um, but it's really exciting. I mean, you see the walls go up, you see the roof get put on, you buy windows, you know, you, you can pick everything that you want, every little thing. And it's really funny because um, my house is built out of adobes and sometimes we find interesting things in the adobes. (laughs) Like there's dog prints or there's like, there was a beer can (laughs) in one. (laughs) And I'm like, there's a beer can in my wall in the bathroom. (laughs) And those are just amusing, great things. (laughs) Now building with adobe bricks, that is a... In many communities, that is a, a dying skill. You just don't see a lot of adobe homes anymore. Now, is that something that your dad has a lot of expertise in, building with adobe? Yes. Yeah. Um, um, our house and, and our restaurant are built with adobe. So um, that's, you know, that's what I wanted to use, and that's what, you know, he's good at um, doing. So, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> It sounds like it. And then, you know, the other challenge I see is, you know, just managing everything, right? Scheduling all these different, the subcontractors that you're working with. And, and, you know, you've got this timeline, right, of like how you're building. And I I mean, that just seems like that would be, be really overwhelming at times too, just being able to, to, to manage a project like this and, and keep everything on a timeline, keep everything moving along. What's that part of it like, just the management? Um, I mean, it's really that's really the, the most frustrating or stressful part is just trying to get everyone together, get them on, you know, coordinating and, you know, when this person does this and we have to do this and they have to show up at the same time or, <laughs> you know, things like that. And um, sometimes, you know, contractors are very busy too and they say they're coming on this day at this time. And I take off work, you know, I have to take off work and have to try to be there. And then either, and then sometimes they call and they're not going to be there or they're late or they don't show up or they totally forget about you, you know? Um, So it it is, you know, it's been really, it's been a long process. It's just been really hard to try to get everything um, going, but somehow it happens, you know? Um, And that's kind of what I leave it to a lot of the time is like, well, you know, this isn't working and I can't force people to do things or to do it on my schedule. So I just have to leave it all up to, you know, when it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And usually that's how, how it goes. Like I get a call from, you know, the electric people and they say they're available this time. And then somehow everything just falls together and it gets done. Bettina, other than your dad, have there been other people who inspired you to take on this challenge? Um, I think just living in Albuquerque was definitely what inspired me to, you know, just want my own 
place um, after, you know, moving out and living at the UNM campus and things like that. And then having my own apartment, like I really just wanted my own space. And I knew moving back home, um, I really was going to want my own space and not move in, you know, with my parents or, you know, move in with anyone else. And housing here in Taos is actually really bad too. There's very high rent and, um, you know, living in town isn't really even an option. So um, I just knew that I was going to have to to take on this project. And I think, you know, just like the caller earlier, you know, she's like, it's really a calling, you know, to first for people who want to build their own home, it just kind of happens and you just kind of want to do it and you're motivated to do it and you, you start, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, your house is, is, is almost done now and you've been working on it for four years. And like you said, I mean, housing in Taos area is really expensive. Northern New Mexico in general is a really pricey place to build. Do you have any idea about how much money you're saving by building your own home? Um, I'm not quite sure, but I know that our typical like rent here, you know, is around 1200 a month, a thousand a month, just for like a one bedroom house, um, or one bedroom apartment. But in terms of house, um prices i'm really not sure how much how much it is to buy a house in this area mm -hmm. let's bring carmi ray back into the conversation and, and carmi ray um thinking a little bit more about the investment of, of sweat sweat equity like you you touched on earlier um, is there a way to put a, a dollar amount on sweat equity so that it can be used for future valuation in, in, in a home Yes, when you're talking about labor costs and contractors and specialty um, contractors as well as infrastructure, when you're building your home, like an average it's estimate of building a, um, let's say, a 1,400 square foot home with probably like three bedrooms, two bathrooms, kitchen, living room, you would probably spend like about 200000 maybe $250,000, about $197 per square foot for a custom home. But if you're building a home yourself, you know, your materials, and especially if you're building with Adobe such as um, Bettina is, your cost estimate would probably be like $115 a square foot. So that would actually bring down the cost to about like um, $80,000, $82,000. But if you're building, building like a much smaller home, like with our project Loan Tree that we did back in 2017, that was $52,000 for a 120 square foot home. And that's um, with the cost of just an electrician and a licensed plumber with the building material and the natural build, um, earth material. And yeah, so pretty much just those how much the home cost that that's pretty big that that's a significant savings and then um the 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 home size do you recommend a, a certain amount of square footage for for a house that somebody's going to build themselves I would recommend looking like the size if you're like a new family you're you know like you're newly married and um you're planning on a family like how many people are you planning to have in your home like how many children are you planning to have in your home? And um, I would say recommend like for a new family home, probably about 
1,200 square foot or more, but if you're like already an existing family with like a large number with about six or seven people, I would say about 2,000 square foot home. But that's just my recommendation, but everybody's um, recommendation and income level, you know, really depends on that as well. So um, just looking at your resources and what you're capable of doing and how um, people could help you build your home would just depend on your size, the size of your home. Carmi Ray, I know you said earlier that you recommend every Native family build their own home, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just still having a little bit, I just don't know, like my, I'm looking at myself and I just, I've thought about it in the past and I just know the way I am and, and I can be, I can procrastinate and, and I, I'm not always really good with tools and things like that. And I just, I just wonder, I mean, do you just come across some folks that are just not equipped to take this on and, and, and how do you determine just who is, Who's a perfect fit for building their own home? So we do have people, you know, um, we have people that have like um, limited mobility. We have people that don't have any building experience. We have people that don't even know how to work a power tool or don't know how to manage their finances. And through our program, we can educate them of what to expect and what the process will take. And it's really up to the person to be determined and to be um, to take the initiative upon themselves to be like proactive through the program, we can't force people, and um, we just have to you know like educate them what to prepare for, and then from there you know it's really their responsibility to um, to grasp the, the opportunity to build their home and to be a part of the project, and um, unfortunately like you know like we can't make them, but like we just have to help them understand and hopefully by educating them and helping them understand they'll be able to do it themselves and if not you know like we have to take other avenues of how to work with them. Carmen thanks for those additional insights. Bettina what advice do you have for somebody sitting here listening today and hey maybe I should try building my own house what do you want to tell them? Um, I would say, you know, find, find a program, you know, just like, um, the one that she's talking about, um, find something that can help you, especially if you don't have anyone who has a lot of knowledge or, you know, assistance, I guess, um, maybe look for that first and then also think about your utility lines. (laughs) Um, if it's far away from electric boxes or, you know, the water line and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I kind of just got lucky because I didn't really, I mean, I knew they were in the area, but I did have to pay a lot for the electricity line because it ended up being really far away. Um, But things like that, you can really lower your cost if you think about it, I guess, and you find land that you have access to that's closer to those utilities. Um, It'll just be better in the long run. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, just like, she mentioned you have to be determined you have to stay on top of it you have to be well organized and you know kind of have time management and you know things like that and it'll get done eventually Bettina I saw on YouTube there was a woman with no construction experience at all that built her entire house from foundation all the way up just watching YouTube videos Um, (laughs) what do you think would you recommend that option I mean if you, you know, look at the right ones, I think you have to find reliable people who know what they're doing and then you can watch those videos. But 
I've definitely um, watched my fair share of YouTube <laughs> in trying to figure certain things out or how things work, you know, or getting advice on different things. Um, and I mean, it's, I think YouTube has really grown to be a helpful source, but like I said, it's really about um, how good the information is, if it's applicable to the materials you're using or the region that you're in or things like that. I'm curious, I've never thought to, to do a search on this, but are there uh, YouTube videos on building with Adobe bricks? Um, I'm not sure, actually. Hmm, maybe something to, to think about there. Um, we've got uh, a caller here. I think we've got time. Denise, listening in Santa Fe, New Mexico on KUNM. Denise, we are going to have to wrap up the show in about a minute, so if you could keep your, uh, your comments fairly brief, I'd sure appreciate it. But you're on the air. Thanks for calling. Okay, yes, I just wanted to say that I had a friend in her 30s that built her own house in Pecos. She had never done anything like that before, and she really just did all the research that she needed. And then the Swensel Steen, S-T-E-E-N, uh, Roxanne Swensel is the family. She's the artist, and her sister, it's a relative of hers, that's purchased uh, published a couple of books on straw bale building and natural building, and I think They've uh, had workshops um, that they've offered, and there's so many really great people like that that you can tap into, and uh, don't think you can't do anything yourself. I think you uh, put the effort and a little bit of uh, research, and, and you can make it happen. Thanks for that call, Denise. And uh, one of our show producers just uh, sent me a link to a YouTube video, How to Build Adobe Walls for a Home. So there we go, folks. Well, we are going to have to wrap up now. That's unfortunately all the time we have. But I would like to say thank you to our guests, Bettina and Carmi Ray. Appreciate you both coming on the show today and guiding us through the challenging yet rewarding process of building your own home. Join us again tomorrow. We've got a discussion lined up with some of this year's Indigenous Hip Hop Award winners. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening to the one, the only Native America Calling. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One. 
the Native American Radio Network.